Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Retrospective Replay, a weekly episodic serialised podcast on video games. This is season 1, Vagrant Story. I am one of your hosts, Ian, and I am joined here tonight by Michael. Hello, Michael. Hello, Ian. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Um, yeah, just getting into the game. It's, you know, quite a lot of story. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's that, that's the start of it. it. And I think we're going to, to talk a little bit more about story tonight, um, particularly yeah. um, uh, an intro that, well, I guess you can you can say what it is. Well, yeah, that's it. It's kind of, it's well, it, it's a hidden introduction. There's actually two. So even though I played this game 20 years ago, I did not realize the fact that if you sit on the title screen and don't input anything, it will show you a pre-introduction, actually two pre-introductions. So we're going to talk about them now. These give a lot more background information and everything just makes a lot more sense. So when you hit the title screen, you wait approximately 30 seconds to 45 seconds and you're given a new introduction. This starts at the VKP headquarters at 24 minutes past midnight. It's been six hours since the occupation happened. By And, and Sydney is actually named at this point, and Mullenkamp, uh, and that they have made two demands, that their imprisoned comrades are released and they want the resignation of the Cardinal, which is a bit similar to another game, if you can think. We referenced it last week. On oh, Metal Gear Solid. So you know about Metal Gear. Yeah, Metal Gear Solid, which was which was a similar demand, wasn't it? Wasn't that released of some political figures and yeah. uh, the body of Big Boss? So, yeah. you know, I think there's going to be many, many Metal Gear Solid references throughout this uh, podcast. Yeah, I, but I think this intro as well, I mean, I don't know why it's hidden and I don't know what, what the purpose of making it hidden was, but it gives so much more story. You know, it doesn't take away from the game that you try to see to work out as you're going along, but... I found this introduction. There was so much more background, so much more story. You, you you knew the setup, whereas previously it was a little bit blind, if you like, because you were asking yourself, who are these people? Who is Sydney? Who is? But this intro kind of explains a lot of who who the characters are. But but yeah, I suppose they have reasons, or they had reasons for for making it a hidden intro. So it moves on, to, and Ashley says that they're a religious unit protected by law, and under what pretext should they try and capture them under? And then a woman speaks up, who we soon find out is called Inquisitor Heldrick, and she says they don't need a pretext because they believe that they are responsible for an attempted assassination on the life of the sovereign this Yuletide's past. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a king or queen. Um, and that kind of fits in with the terms that are used to uh, later on. Like he said, he calls them a royal dog or something. So they're, they're represent, or they're yeah. the soldiers who represent the king or the, the sovereign. Um, and it seems yeah. like the Mullenkamp uh, cult tried to kill the king last Christmas or last Yuletide. A debate then heats up a bit between themselves, saying that they have too much religious freedom. Ashley wants to know why they get involved when it should be the Templars' concern. So I'm assuming this this instance, that's the Knights. So it seems like Ashley's group are kind of a secret secret service, and the Knights are the, the soldiers. It, it's definitely it's that the VKP is definitely being sort of portrayed as like a almost a specialist unit. Yeah. So 
The response is that an investigation has shown that all the money that Mullenkamp possesses actually comes from the Duke. And although, even though he's now retired, he still has too much power. That also sets up quite interesting as well, because later on you're asking yourself the question, without this intro, what is the relationship between the Duke and, and Sidney or his group? Um, and, you know, we t- we talked about it. It seems like they had a, had a falling out or some kind of a disagreement. Um, and that's why he's um, taken uh, what, what we think was his son. Um, and this backstory, again, that it shows that there's a, actually a, quite a, a significant relationship between them. It seems to be that the Duke has been funding the activities of the Mullenkamp um, sect, according to this group anyway. So the camera then pans back away a bit from the table and it looks to some... You can just kind of make the window frames out and there's some lightning strikes down. You suddenly see there's what, like, sort of... There's about 12 silhouettes standing in the darkness and you can't see anyone's faces. And all this is, we have watched for long enough and now is the time to act. But but I think that also juxtaposes as well with something that they had said that the Duke's power... He wields his power from the shadows um, and he has a grip on Parliament. And I think... It's kind of an interesting one that you have all of these shadowy figures in the background here um, and they've just talked about the, the Duke um, controlling power from the shadows. So They want to know why the Cardinal sent his crimson blades in without the VKP approval. So sounds like the VKP's got ultimate authority in matters like this. You know, you're not meant to make a move without, without informing them what you're going to do. Yeah. Heldrick then says an agent has been sent ahead and actually names her as Melos. She will give Ashley information when he gets there. Yeah. So Ashley leaves um, and we see the manor at 11.58am. So it's 34 minutes before Ashley storms the castle. We see Melos standing looking at the castle in the dark. Ashley walks up behind her. She hears him and turns to say, Agent Riot, I presume. I'm your partner, Callum Melos but you can call me Cal. Ashley asks about the hostages, and she informs them there are 34 hostages. So now we've actually got a number, you know. It's 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 yeah. family and servants. Yeah, it is. And and I think as well, Adam, do they comment that the Duke isn't there? Ashley questions about the Duke, and he's told he's not there, which he obviously finds a little, little bit strange, doesn't he? It seems to be that they've, they've taken capture and hostages, but it, just by chance, or maybe not, the um, Duke isn't there, which is quite strange. He then questions about the blades to ask how they're getting on, but Carl wants to wait to collect information and negotiate with Sydney. Just as she's talking, uh, a fire starts in the castle, cutting her off mid-sentence, causing her to question, what is it? Ashley then states the siege has begun and that the Cardinal's blades have made their move, and Carl replies to him saying that they've made action in direct defiance of our authority, again, kind of saying how the the VKP have ultimate authority in, in these sort of matters. Well, it seems like the Cardinal is a powerful enough person as well in that, you know, he's he has a group of blades or soldiers at his command, and he seems to be able to, to operate outside of the the guidance of, of Parliament and of the, the Sovereign, it would seem. The Cardinal is another... He, he's set up here as another uh, important figure. There seems to be a yeah. couple of battles going on, if you like, and the Cardinal seems to be a main player in this as well. Ashley's wondering if the hand was forced, and he steps towards the castle when Cal stops him to ask where he's going. Ashley responds to her that the blades have provided the perfect distraction. 
she protests that it's too dangerous and the most weightful reinforcements and then you know it's like you know the, yeah, the cool like guy line isn't it? explosions and he's like i am the reinforcements uh you know it's very rambo-esque or again metal gear solid if you think about it you know the fact that this one person uh solid snake was sent in to deal with this like, whole organization of terrorists as it was uh, put at the time similar of the of the period and if you look at some of the movies and stuff from that time you know he's kind of like rambo i am the reinforcement so okay so the second pre-intro now it's more of a cinematic style trailer we both watched this haven't we you've watched it quite recently yeah yeah it starts with a camera above the castle and reshows the running in the rain which it's quite funny because if you watch this first, if you manage to, I don't know, turn the game on, left your controller down and you watch this first, then it wouldn't make a lot of sense to you. No, it, it seems a bit, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So it starts with the camera above the castle, he's running in the rain, and it's sit, and some text appears on the screen, the, the same blue text that we get for all the law, which reads, We've received a report from the Valindia Knights of Peace regarding an unsolved felony that may affect state security. We then see cut back to the castle in the rain with some lightning striking down. More text flashes up. Ashley Riot, an agent of the Risk Breaker Militia, has murdered a senior member of Parliament, Duke Badoba, and is still at large. We know Ashley is now, whether he's done this or whether he's being framed for this, I mean, you just don't know, but it's... Well, we also know that the Duke is dead. Well, yeah, we know we know the Duke's dead now, and it's not even foreshadowing this, is it? It's just literally telling us outright he's dead. So the camera goes back to Harden in the courtyard with the two men, the same scene as the intro. Back to more text, which reads, The incident began with the occupation of the Duke's manor a week ago. So this is a report from a week after yeah. the original fire. So we don't exactly know how much... Um, how much time is going to pass in the story? So, for all, you know, because like I said, I never beat it. So, for all we know, we might we might surpass this. You know, this could be midpoint in the story for all all I'm aware. But yeah, but I mean, because they said they're still looking for him, so it doesn't seem it's not concluded after the week. He's still yeah. at large or what whatever. It then cuts back showing Guildstern killing the guy as the night walks in, having the Sydney conversation. More text which reads Sydney. The leader of the occupying cult Mullencamp took hostages, demanding the resignation of the Cardinal and the release of the prisoners. And I'm really sick of making Metal Gear Solid references, so we'll just skip ahead of that. We then move to the scene inside the manor in the chapel. Some conversations there, uh, more text. What was the felon Sydney's true objective? And where on earth are those who escaped? So is he talking about... Sydney and Harden with Joshua is, you yeah. know, for all we know, there might have been more people because obviously there was extra people like in the courtyard that you took out and other people ran past him to look for whatever they're looking for. So really, we don't know how many escaped, but you can assume it's more than just them two. And where is Sydney in this report now? Because, you know, it's, it, they seem to be suggesting that there are some other people escaped, but have they captured Sydney? Is, is Sydney also dead? We have the conversation where Harden asks if he doubts his power to more text. Only Agent Riot, once our dear comrade, can answer these questions. Spare no effort in finding him. Back to the scene where Ashley captures Sydney, but you noticed it as well, didn't you? It's actually different. Yeah, he shoots the bolt, but he misses. You don't see Sydney with the bolt through him. You don't see any blood on his chest, on his mouth, so no. that's that's different. Maybe the kind of rendered this before they actually rendered the game or something, then changed it partway through. After that, this goes to more text. Also, there is a peculiar rumour 
that many saw a dragon as the Duke's residence burned. So again, call it a dragon, not a wyvern or a worm. We then see Sydney in the wyvern and it flashes up in big letters, Vagrant Story. It rolls some credits like a like the introduction to a film and finally comes off with good luck and godspeed as Ashley looks over his left shoulder and the castle gate comes crashing down, which I quite like that part, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, so now we'll jump back to the game where we were. Just to quickly recap, in terms of gameplay, we didn't do a lot. We fought two humans in the courtyard of the castle. We then fought a, a very small, like a demi-boss, if you were, not even that, just kind of introduce you to the fact, just a plotline story element. Uh, it was a wyvern, which went down to three hits. So we regained control of Ashley. We started in the entrance to darkness and moved into the workers' break room where we saved the game. We did open a chest and get a couple of items which, which were equipped. Now we start from the workers' break room and we move on to the next room to the Hall of Struggle. This is the first kind of beast enemy encounter, isn't it? So it's it literally, as soon as you get through the, the door, you get attacked by a bat. And the bats are easy to kill. They only take one hit, but you've got to be pretty quick. I mean, the screen fades out and fades back in, and you've got to be on that button fairly fast. It generally helps to walk between the rooms in battle mode and then come out of battle mode when you don't want to be there. The weapon that seems to work best against the bats is the Tavarish, because it's, it's got longer reach as well, I would say. Yeah, the, the one-handed axe. Right. I didn't actually try the Tavarish at this point, so I was just using the Fandango, I think it's called, the, the, yep. the rounded, the sort of curved blade. But you did take the Tavarish out of the chest. I, I did take it, but I haven't used it at this point, but with that tip, I might try next time. So when we're in this room, it's a rectangular room, and Earthquakes has shifted the floor around. So in the middle, there's a large wall, which you need to jump. Then this is our first introduction to the box puzzles of the game. So there's, the whole game really is just sort of fighting, crafting, and box puzzles with with story. But, you know, it, it makes it sound simple, but it, it's not a simple game. So there's two crates. You can just basically... There's two ways you could do this. You can jump on the crate and then jump off the crate onto the big wall and down. Or you could move the crate to the bottom of the wall, jump on the crate, jump on the wall. Simple stuff. So we move on to the next room, which is the smoke barrel stairways. So this is a bit more in-game cutscene, isn't it? There's a man who tries a door, and the door starts shooting like magic electricity from it. Yeah, it looks like he he gets a shock from some kind of blue light, which is you know it looks like electric electricity. As that happens, a second man walks down some stairs, and he asks if the first man got the door open, and he replies to him saying it's no good, it doesn't even budge. And then the first guy says, well, it wasn't locked before. And the second one replies, well, it's a grimoire that keeps it locked. So, pop quiz. Pop quiz, hotshot. Do you know what a grimoire is? Grimoire is a book of spells. So it's like a magic book. I think, you know, you can probably think of it in, again, if we think of some shows in that area. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there was a grimoire in that. Charmed, any of the Marvel movies, Doctor Strange. Uh, anyone who's watching WandaVision. Yeah, it's a book of spells. It's That's what I think it is. It's kind of a magic book. Yep. That's exactly what it is. So it doesn't really contain anything other than just just spells and sort of yeah. And it has to be used by somebody. So it's 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 a, it's, it's like a tool. It's like a magician or a, a wizard or a witch or whatever you want toolkit if you like to to cast the spells. And I think Bart also used one on Treehouse of Horrors when he managed to resurrect the dead. Ah, here we are. How to raise the dead. <laughs> <laughs> 
they then talk amongst themselves how they're going to lose the others, but setting that aside, the second guy who just walked in wants to show the first guy something, so they go up the stairs and off into the next room. So we begin control, and this is probably when you first notice that the map is actually 3D yeah. in the bottom right-hand side. So it shows you geometry. It shows you the door you came in via a flashing red dot, and other doors are showing by blue dots. The door that's locked has a symbol on it indicating that it's locked, but it's very, very Zelda-esque. It kind of looks a bit like the symbol for when you need to get the boss key to go actually get into the boss room. It looks kind of like that. If you examine the door, it says it's locked with a chamomile sigil. So there's only one way to go, and that's up the stairs to follow these guys into the wine guild hall. So when you first get in there, the camera pans around the room and it shows some platforms floating around and the men start talking. Well, I, I think the technical term, and I think this is what I what I wrote down in my notes, it's a floaty green block. Floaty green block, yeah, that's great. I mean, all this next section is, it's a, it's a method to explain why things are floating around, isn't it? Rather than just saying, you're a player, things are floating, just accept it. You know, that it's a video game, that's the way it is. They are trying to sort of... They're trying to justify why things are floating around. So the man asks, one man asks, is this a grimoire's doing as well? And the second replies, I'd heard it before, but this. And also a dragon, no, a worm, was sighted at the Duke's manor. So this is where they actually refer to the, the worm, or the other the, the wyvern, as a, as a worm and dragon. So, you know, it's, it's referred to as everything in this game, to be honest. I will say that these two guys, you know, they're knights and whatnot, they, they seem very calm with the whole thing that there's a green floaty block in the middle of the room. Yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 do, they do, actually. The conversation moves on, saying if there's magic here, and they're spelled magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, which, you know, the, the extra K on, I see was just an old spelling, and it got dropped at some point during the English language. The word magic with a K is used by witches to distinguish their practice from stage magic. It was popularised in the 1900s by Alistair Crowley and is considered a neutral term, not inherently good or evil. The intent and morality behind it is up to the practitioner themselves. So, it seems to be a term for magic that, um, it could be good magic or bad magic, but it seems to distinguish it that magic, like a magician, is the stage magic, they're not really magical, uh, whereas the magic with a K to set it aside by witches kind of like similar i guess to the whiskey and whiskey so you have irish whiskey that has an e and scottish whiskey that doesn't have an e the difference between those so he says if there's magic here then dragons won't be too far behind they start expressing concern about guildstone's men so we know that guildstone must have chased sydney and his men here so once again we have all three parties vkp crimson blades and mullencamp all in the same area they then talk about how the maesters must know about the grimoires and they've just been kept in the dark. So in the word maester, I only know what a maester is now because of Game of Thrones. If it wasn't for Game of Thrones, I, I wouldn't have had a clue. And your maester's kind of like like a glorified librarian, really. Isn't they? They, they read everything and they, and they know everything and they're, they're the fountain of knowledge. They are the, they are the early Google slash Wikipedia, I think. So the conversation moves on to how they must drub those Mullenkamp scoundrels and procure the miracles of Leomond. They talk about how Gildstone uses magic, although they say by using, by being men of the night, 
that they wouldn't dabble in the dark arts, while the second man states they must fight fire with fire. Their attention is then drawn back to the floating platforms, and he says, I believe what I see, and right now I see sorcery. Which is probably a fair comment, really. you got these platforms that are... That are what we haven't talked about right now is the game is kind of like Tomb Raider in terms of the overworld is set in squares. So each of all the crates go into a square, which approximately looks by one by one meter when you kind of compare it to the size of people. So you pick up a, you pick up a box from a square. If you turn a bit right, it'll go into the next square or maybe it's the original square, depending on how far right you were, that sort of thing. So these, these floating platforms, they are fairly sizable they're basically probably one meter cubed so to see something one cubic meter flying through the air is uh i would say that's sorcery to be honest it's very odd it's it's an eerie color as well it's like a glowing green there are there some ruins on the top of it as well i think they are i think there are some ruins on the top of it so some ruins or glyphs um i'm not sure i'm not sure the difference between rune and a glyph and there's a little amusing line where he says a grimoire could make the fattest sow outfly an eagle. And they finish by saying cobblestones would float like clouds, which is yeah. exactly what's happening here. This whole thing was just a mechanism to say, why are these floating platforms? Which is nice. It's nice to get a bit of law as yeah. to what's going on, rather than just saying, hey, you, accept this, yeah. play in a game. I mean, you know, you can think of lots of games where they're floaty blocks and you just take it for granted that, oh, they're floating. We cut back to Ashley. And he notices a figure on his left. And when he turns to look, it's just like a white, untextured yeah. model of a boy. So it's meant to be like a spirit or a ghost or... Well, what I've said, what I what I put in my notes is ghost kid, exclamation mark. This causes him to stumble slightly. He creates some noise, alerting the two men. In terms of actual gameplay, it's second time in about 15 minutes that he's managed to alert people where he is. So he's... He's no solid snake, is he really? No way. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the, these um, VKP seem to be like the, uh, you know, the special agents of the yeah. of the king. He's not very good at being sneaky. He's not sneaky guy, is he really? He's just like, if he had guns, he would just run in, pistol in each hand, just blowing people away. We, we then get back to the action now. So you put back in the room, the camera looking at you, and you got to draw your sword and, and fight both men. Now, funnily... Uh, I counted these men take about six hits apiece. They're quite strong. They're, they're the strongest enemies we've come across so far. That They actually take twice as many hits yeah. as that wyvern. That's, for it's very strange that you know it takes more to kill a knight than it does to kill a dragon. It is possible to take a couple of hits here. I think I jumped high up on a platform because one guy seems to like jumping on platforms and the other doesn't. So I dispatched the first, jumped down, took out the second. And so after we defeat them, we notice there's a chest in the corner of the room. And this isn't a chest of loot, this is like a Resident Evil style chest. So you deposit items in it and they'll follow you throughout the world because we only have a finite amount of inventory space. So you can place many, many items in here and as we find out as we go through the game we'll be needing lots of space for lots of items to craft weapons. And there's also a save point which didn't use. So after that you jump on the floating platform over the lower level where you've just had your fight and you move on to the next room, which is the wine magnate chambers. A magnate is somebody who's a kind of, um, somebody who's like the head of a, an organization that sells wine, I guess. Like they're a big shot in the wine business. Well, according to the dictionary, a wealthy and influential businessman or woman. So, so yeah, yeah, I guess so. So it's probably somebody who is sat 
at the top of the, the the food chain for the for this wine business. Yeah. So when when we walk into this room, there is another cutscene, very small, and it shows a small earthquake. We have to fight a bat, which is one hit, and a wolf, which takes two yeah. hits. So there's nothing much there, and you just go you go up the stairs to leave the room. But did you did you do what I did and did you stand in the trap? No, I didn't stand in the trap. Top of the stairs, the landing, if you were, is a three by three grid. And you come up the stairs and the middle of this three by three grid and the doors at the other side, the middle of the three by three grid. So naturally, nine out of ten times, you will probably go through the middle and you get hit by the trap. So you you obviously locked out while I took sort of wow. 50 damage from that, really. But yeah, it's quite a lot. But I don't know if you've noticed that your health actually recovers. I don't know how I missed that trap. I must have just gotten lucky. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, your health does regenerate if you just kind of don't do anything. Um, very slowly, but, but it does get there, so you don't have to be using healing items constantly. Next, we move off into the fine vintage vault, and we get another cutscene. So Yeah, I think this cutscene tell, will tell a lot. But anyway, I'll let you explain first, and then I'll give you my thoughts. So we see some men talking. It, it's Gildan's turn, isn't it? And he's talking to two knights. Yeah, we see Guildenstern talking to knights, and he says, Here comes one of Parliament's watchdogs, and go and back in silence his yapping. But the knight questions him. Guildenstern just says, The man is an agent of the VKP. Can you not follow orders? So I don't think they really want to... I don't think the Crimson Blades men want to fight the VKP, because as we said before, it sounds like the VKP have some sort of ultimate authority over them. So they're clearly hand-in-hand. Yeah, it seems like you're on the same team. Um, You know, it it seems like you have different branches of government you have parliament king uh, and in the church and they're all meant to be on the same side yeah but then so they run away to go fight ashley and as the knights run off the camera cuts back to gildenstern but what happens he's sydney he's sydney this this poses an interesting question then we just saw sydney didn't we we just saw sydney see um cal on the stairs and now suddenly sydney is what eight rooms into this complex with which apparently only has one entrance and exit which is when we were on so you never ran past us so yeah what are your thoughts well he, he, he can obviously disguise himself so he can change his appearance or make it look to other people that he is somebody else how or, or, or maybe he doesn't yeah. maybe he, he can physically take on the form of somebody else the other question for me is was Gildenstern actually at the manor when we saw it all the, the, in the previous um, cutscenes, or was that Sydney as well? Yeah, no, that's that's a very very good question. I think right now we just yeah. we just have no idea, and I honestly don't know if if that's ever going to get resolved. Hopefully, it will. Yeah. yeah. Back to the gameplay. You start in the room with the knight immediately coming at you, which you have to fight straight away. Five hits, and he's down. Then again, because of the previous earthquake we just had, there's another wall you got to get the two ways again you can jump up the boxes and over the gap to the wall or you could destroy one box and move the other box to the wall and jump up you then have to fight the second knight who only two takes one less hit um, and he's got a bow gun i don't think he actually managed to hit me i think i was just it was kind of running away a bit maybe he's trying to put distance to attempt to attack at range but i just managed to take him down really fast we then move on to the next room, which is the Chamber of Fear. This is a, a flat T-shaped room as we walk in. Then the ground starts to shake. Ashley proclaims, not again. And the intensity increases. And he says, this is a big one. 
screen flashes white and then we are met with the aftermath of a misshapen room it like i said it was a t-shaped room so if you can imagine where we've come in there's a door straight ahead of us and a door to the left of us so the door to the left of us is now elevated several blocks high and the door straight ahead of us i believe you can just basically run straight through the room and go out of there considering that this room off to the left has now been made harder to reach this tells you there might be something good there yeah you have to climb up and you're going into the room which is the reckoning room so this is more zelda zelda like yeah. really go into the room the door locks behind you and it will not unlock until you've beaten everything in the room which is one bat and two wolves and this is the first time I took a hit from a wolf, and I was expecting these wolves, you know, it's a wolf, it takes two hits, it's got to be pretty tough. I took three damage. You recover that before you even walk out the room, I think. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off! Uh, there's a chest in the corner, which has several items. It has a bow gun, the seventh heaven. It has a reinforced glove, which would be good to go with our leather glove. And it has a variety of healing items. The door has unlocked, and we go back out via the chamber of fear onto a labourer's thirst at this point i have actually equipped the seventh heaven and i don't believe you did did you i stuck with the tavarish we get attacked by a wolf and because of the large range of the seventh heaven i managed to shoot the wolf mid-air before it even like hit the ground um, but you still got you still got hit it twice with the seventh heaven It, it deals about as much damage as what the sword was I managed to beat it before it even got near me. And then there's a bat that attacks, which, again, I also dispatched that pretty quick. There's a box puzzle in this room, and we have to move the box from the stack and put it to the opposite wall to jump up and get through into the rich drowning wine. There's a bat and a wolf that we have to beat, and then there's a lever at the other end of the room. Now, what do you think of this lever section? I'm sure we're going to see a lot of them because... it. I can't see this being a one-off. No. And I found it, I would just describe it, clunky. It's not fluid. No, it was very clunky. You go up the lever, you press X, and you're given the options on. You pull the lever, don't pull the lever. Well, t- no one's going to not pull the lever. It's like, don't press the big red button. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you pull it, and you get like a message saying, door's closing, but when this message comes up, it like pauses all the action. Then it counts down, like three, two, one. So you have to jump off the platform to the floor and through the door, and when you hit the door, it then pauses the action again to say, Ashley made it through. And that was just pointless. Why did it need to tell us that? Because we know he made it through if he just went through the door. It's, it's like stating the bleeding obvious. <laughs> we went through the door... We now get a cutscene, which is, I assume, in some backstory. It's possibly a memory. It's an idyllic scene. There's a lone, large tree that stands on a small hill, providing some much-needed shade on a sunny day. Under the tree, there's a picnic basket and a bottle of wine. The camera cuts to Ashley. Ashley, as he is right now, and he's wearing his battle clothes, which he is completely out of place in this scenario. As the camera pans out, he's standing next to the tree in the picnic. He stops to look around and observe the scene and suddenly spots a small boy. And it looks like a complete version of the same boy we saw before, only this time he's colourised. Yeah, it's the ghost kid. Yeah, it's the ghost kid. And the words Papa appear on the screen in blood-red writing. 
Yeah, I found that very creepy. Uh, it was nicely done, it, but it was very um, creepy, I will say. We then see Ashley in monochrome against a totally black background, a complete void, and a heartbeat can be heard. The camera then cuts back to the catacombs, and we are seeing from Ashley's eyes. He looks up and once again sees the same boy going through a door. Ashley then attempts to dash forward, but the little boy turns away. The screen fades white and he disappears. Colour returns to Ashley's vision and we get attacked by multiple bats. So this room that we're in is the Room of Rotten Grapes. It's a rectangular room and the entrance door is on the ground level while the exit is one level above. We have a box puzzle which is very simple. There's several boxes stacked on top of each other. You need to destroy one because it's three boxes stacked on each other. You can't pick up the top one because you can't reach. You can't pick up from the middle because it's too heavy. So you destroy a box to make it a stack of two. And you can then pick up the top box and move it to under the ledge and climb up. We move on to the next room, which is Black Market of Wines. There's not really much in here. You know what's going to happen. You've got a save point. You've got a treasure chest full of healing items. So we know know what's going to happen boss time. So we move on from the Black Market of Wines into the Gallows. This is the first real boss of the game. Before we talk about the boss, what did you think? Hard, not hard? After boss, not hard. Not hard, yeah. For such, again, it's it's kind of like the dragon. For such a, a huge creature, a, a, a minotaur, didn't take a lot of beating. As we walk into the gallows, we get an in-game cutscene. Ashley walks in and the camera cuts to a small gate in the side of an arena. From this gate, you see a, a giant hooved leg crash down on the ground, which shakes the camera a bit. The camera then moves, and you see it's a minotaur. Its weapon is strange. I don't know what you would call it. Like It's, it's almost like a mace, but it's a pole that's probably about 10 foot long. If, you know, the minotaur's probably 12 to 14 feet high, but it's got, a, it's got a huge bowling ball on the end, for the lack of a better term. It's like a massive sphere on the end, which it can swing. So it's got an incredibly large range and arc attack, isn't it? I thought it was um, a very apt boss because those sections of rooms and whatnot are something of a labyrinth. And that's where the, the Minotaur basically hung out in the Greek legends or the Greek story. And it was killed by Theseus or, or whoever. Um, so I thought it was interesting that, that it was a, a Minotaur uh, at the end of all of that maze of rooms. When the gameplay resumed, I attempted to outrange the Minotaur with the Seventh Heaven, but I didn't stand a chance. It's got massive range. I think it can outrange the bow gun, to be honest. So I switched back to the sword, and all you do is basically you stand there and you hit it in the head. Yeah. Because the head's where it takes its most damage. Body, legs, arms, they take probably a third, maybe even a quarter of the damage where what the head did. I had to use one healing item while fighting it, and that's probably only because I was tempted to use the bow gun. If I didn't use the bow gun, I might not have had to use a healing item whatsoever. Well, I it's interesting you talked about the range. And again, the ranged weapon that I thought was the best was the Tavarish. So we beat this boss. I don't think you wrote this down this time, but I'm, I think you will from now on. I got 111,938 points. And I got a risk breaker rank of normal agent, which is probably quite typical. I got normal, so... After we're given the stats, we are given the, the wheel of fortune, the wheel of the wheel of stats, really, isn't it? So the wheel starts to spin, and you have to press circle to stop the wheel. And then wherever this wheel stops on gives you a bonus. So I managed to get plus three strength. I got plus five health. 
Nice. We get some rewards. We get a chamomile sigil, which is the door that we saw was locked earlier. We get a grimoire, which is a healing spell. And we get another grimoire, which temporarily decreases target strength. What was the one? Debris. Debile? Yeah. So after we beat the boss and we return to gameplay, did you spot the chest in the back of the Uh, room? Yes. So you you have to jump up from the lower arena to what almost looks like where a an overseer would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. And there's a chest at the top, and it has a pelter shield, uh, some risk-lowering items, and a perilous curing item. We go to leave, and as you attempt to open the door, we get a cutscene. Ashley goes to open the door, and he has metal clapping together. Ashley turns around, and Sydney's behind him. And Sydney says, so this is a risk-breaker. So it sounds like that was possibly a test, because the Minotaur, like the Wyvern, well, it didn't keel over and die, though, did it? It just kind of it flashed away again. Yeah. Sydney then goes on to say, Men are ruled by fear, accepting knowledge as truth. But Ashley is different. He is always calm, detached, and a smooth flow of thought into action. He then says, as if you had no soul. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting that he said he has no soul. He wants to know how his soul and body are separate, comparing it to like a child from the night in his storybook. He speculates if the VKP training caused this, or did Ashley see something that made him shut his soul away? Sydney points to Ashley and says, show me your soul. It then fades to a white screen, and we are back to the hill with the tree on it. We see Ashley, but this time he's in monochrome, and the rest of the scene is in colour. We see the backs of a man and woman under the tree, and the camera cuts to the couple, and the same little boy walks into the shot with the adults. They talk between themselves, although we see no dialogue, just the mouths moving. You can now see the man as Ashley, while the second monochrome Ashley is observing and approaches. Ashley and the woman kiss, and she walks off. The boy sits down and talks with Ashley, but we still don't have any visible dialogue. Ashley, troubled by something, looks over to the woman and sees two men approaching her at speed, one with a sword drawn ready to strike, while the second wields a bow gun. The woman is stabbed and falls to the ground, and Ashley opens his mouth, probably shouting. Yeah. He stands up and starts sprinting at the men, but the second man fires a bolt from the bow gun, which flies past Ashley. Ashley then stops dead in his tracks and turns around. The boy is now flat out on the ground on his back. We then see Ashley approaching the boy and he falls to his knees. The camera cuts above the boy and there's a bolt sticking out of his chest. Ashley screams out and he holds the boy. The end shot shows the boy's hand lifelessly falling to the ground as Ashley lifts him up, which is a very... It's almost cliche, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, no. The screen then flashes white and we return to the chamber. Ashley's now on one knee looking at the floor. Sydney tells him, you killed your wife and child. Ashley protests and says that they were slain. Sydney replies, wrong. You failed to protect your wife and child. And then he adds, you failed in your duty as a knight, as a husband, and as a father. You killed them. Which is, must be pretty jarring, do you think? Well, uh, yeah, and I think it's also interesting that, you know, Ashley was a knight. Now he's obviously part of this VKP. It also seems to ring back to what Cal said previously about Sydney that, you know, he can read the past of people and their hearts. So he's effectively in his head 
Um, and I think everything that Ashley is seeing is because Sydney is reading him or making him see this. Yeah, is Sydney going at Ashley's mind and seeing this memory, or is he replaying it in Ashley's mind and making him see it? I, I, I want to say probably the latter, because when he returns, you know, Ashley's kind of like almost emotionally, physically exhausted because he's down on one knee and he's, you know, he's clearly troubled by something. You also want to make the comparisons to what we said previously, that this Sydney guy is very similar to Psycho Mantis in Metal Gear Solid, and, you know, that's about getting in people's heads. Also like Psycho Mantis, the next part is that Sydney then launches himself 30 or 40 feet in the air, but he doesn't jump, he just kind of, he floats up, but levitates. Speed, he levitates. He levitates at speed, then lands very softly on the upper platform where we open the chest. He then starts taunt Ashley, saying, try to catch me, Ashley Riot. Look outside yourself to find the truth. Ashley then asks him, what's your game? Sydney ignores this question and shouts for Harden. Harden comes in the room and he has got Carl hostage. An ominous line then comes from Sydney saying, The city of Shade will forgive your sins, my son, and call forth a power, a power that lies within you even now. Which, it doesn't make a lot of sense, really, does it? I mean, maybe he sees something inside Ashley that Ashley doesn't realise he has. I think he does, and I think... But but he regains some abilities, or he think you know, so there's something has obviously... He's buried away. Sydney then states, this is my game, to answer the earlier question. I run, you give chase, I am the heart, and you are the hunter. So, pop quiz. Pop quiz, hot shot. What is a heart? H-A-R-T. It's a deer. It's a male red deer over the age of five years. It's obviously an archaic term, but uh, I only know this because I googled it. I was thinking, did it mean hay? Especially because the next line is, but this heart has laid a few snares of his own. So I was thinking, this must must mean hay, surely. They've they've messed up in the script here, but no, 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 heart is, does make sense. No, uh, yeah, it makes sense. I think it's it's another way of saying the hunter has become the hunted. The student has become the master, etc., etc. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. It's kind of threatening as well, if you think about it, because he says, you know, you're going to chase me, but it's not going to be without risks for you. Sydney then opens his arm. He basically T-poses, doesn't he? He he stands there, he he puts both his arms out, he does a a cyberpunk T-pose, but then literally just flies up. And as he flies up, the camera pans to follow him, and the ceiling is just a black void, and he disappears off. We then cut back to Ashley, and suddenly... Like a, a lightning starts to surround him, doesn't it? And he falls to his knees and regains something called battle abilities. And the text is, a battle ability has been gained from repressed memories. After this, the camera then looks up into the blackness again and it says, I am waiting for you, Ashley Riot. I wasn't sure if this was narrative or if this is something you might have heard. Like, you know, sometimes you hear the bad guy then say something but you know you can't see him anymore he's like he's like an echo okay so after this we we leave the battle arena and go back to the previous room but there's something slightly different now there is a suit of armor it's like a practice doll isn't there did you see it yeah practice doll yeah so you can hit it so you can hit it and equip your battle abilities because although we now have battle abilities there is no explanation of the battle abilities unless you go into the menu and look it up from this room with the training dummy, now that we have the calomel sigil, we need to backtrack back to obviously where the door was locked, which I believe is the smoke barrel stair. The blue lightning door. 
Yeah, the blue lighting door. Yeah. Um, did you notice something when you started to backtrack as you got out of that room? It's no. a pet hate of mine in RPGs. What is it? Oh, well, all, all games, really. Respawning enemies. So as oh, soon as you get yeah, back yeah. out, the enemies have respawned. But it's funny because as you get through the game, it's not like every room has respawning enemies. It's just some of them. Well, that's something as well I don't know if you noticed. But if you're in a room and you do one of moving around boxes and whatnot, if you leave it, it resets the room. So it resets everything. Yeah, it has to because otherwise you yeah. put yourself in a position yeah. where you, you can make the, the puzzles all unsolvable. You can be stuck. You can, you can break the game if, if that didn't happen. So we backtrack through. We get to the smoke barrel stay. I'm, I'm not going to mention all the rooms on the way back because we've been through them. Um, and when we interact with the locked door, we get some text on the bottom of the screen that says, "Open the door with the chamomile sigil." The sigil turned to dust. To one you signed him, you know. I guess because you do see it in your infantry, doesn't it? And then you know, this explains why you don't see infantry anymore. So I'm assuming there'll probably be other doors locked with the, with a chamomile sigil, and therefore, if you had an unlimited one, it would mean that it. I, I don't know. There may be other doors that are locked with the same sigil. Maybe. So if it was if it was unlimited, then it would mean that you may not need to find it again. Very possibly, yeah. So we go through the door, we enter the room of cheap red wine, and we go into a cutscene. And this is an interesting one, I think. It kind of reminds me of Resident Evil. Yeah. There's a man slumped against some boxes of wine. He looks grey. He's totally grey. I mean, you know, it's, it's a funny colour. Yeah, he's kind of purpley. He's purpley. He's got a purple hue. Yeah. About him, I would say. Um, actually, he bends down to tend to him, and the man says, I beg of ye, stop the pain. He then spits up blood and dies, and he slumps over, and blood is like pouring out of his mouth. Then, after he dies, his soul, well, what I'm assuming is his soul yeah. leaves his body, and it looks like a wisp, doesn't it? It flies out. Yeah, it's like a cloud. Yeah, it's like a, bit like a cloud. It kind of circles the room a little bit and then dissipates off. Look, I wouldn't say it leaves him, I would say it's sucked out of him. Because it doesn't seem to... It's not voluntary. I think it's actually sucked out of him. Then Ashley watches the soul leave and steps forward. As it dissipates, the body then reanimates, which was, you know, you could probably see it coming. Then Ashley asks, is this some magic or merely the power of Leomond? Enemies have started to reanimate. So you fight this guy. He wasn't hard. A couple of hits. And he drops something very important that we'll be using a lot throughout this section is a rapier. So it's a piercing pointed sword, which you basically have to use for every undead enemy. Yeah, so the rapier, as you say, is very important after this fact, because that seems to be what you used to fight. You refer to them as undead. I would refer to them as zombies. Yeah, it's just because the type. We haven't spoke about types or affinities yet, which we will, but in terms of a type, it's an, it's undead. All right, fair enough. We'll speak about it in depth probably in the future, but you know you have you have types, so you have like your, yeah, your yeah. fire and your ice, um, and one one's weak to the other, and I think there's six in total, and of course round robin. It's it's actually it's it's quite an in depth topic, so we'll we'll have to leave it for another night. We jump up three levels to the exit, and we move into the next room. So we've left the room of cheap red wine. So what do you think the next room could be? Medium red wine. No. The room of cheap white wine, or the Lambrini room, as I like to call it. <laughs> it's another cutscene, well, a very small one. Ashley walks into the room, and there's three undead on the ground. As they reanimate, he asks, Is this too part of your game, Sydney? If you recall, we are sort of two levels above these three undead, and they can't, they can't actually hit you, so I equip the bow gun, and I just started shooting them from a distance from up above, 
um, which is actually quite time consuming and probably not worth the payoff if not taking any damage because yeah. I noticed these these enemies that don't attack that frequently you know you can probably get three attacks in or four yeah. attacks in before they even strike back and if you manage to chain together some battle abilities which again we will speak about at a in more in depth later you can easily take out these enemies before they, they get to hit you once to be honest yeah so yeah as i said a crossbow is probably a bit time consuming for the most part these zombies or undead don't really attack or you can you can certainly knock off a few um, attacks on them or chain some battle abilities together before you take any damage we then move on to the greedy ones den it's nothing spectacular here. You just move through it. There's two wolves. You take them down. And we go through onto the hero's wine hall. I'm sure you'll have a bit to say about this in a second. But let's just start. You walk in and there's a cutscene. Triggers once you get about six or seven steps there. You hear metal stomping, like metal walking, followed by a high pitch grind. As Ashi looks over, an empty suit of armor with no head clambers forward into view dragging behind it a very large sword, which squeals against the stone. The armor then sticks the sword into the floor with its right hand over its left hand side and drags the sword to the right, which leaves a giant blood red line across the floor while creating sparks from the end of the sword. As it finishes, a glyph in blood red appears on the floor under the enemy. This seems to create some sort of power that then is absorbed centrally into the chest cavity the boss music Dullahan then begins to play i'm assuming michael you can tell us something about the Dullahan. can i uh, yeah i can uh, Dullahan. so i think this is a f- character that's based on an irish myth and this myth is probably com- referred to as well as gone kyaun kyaun means head and gone means without so effectively it's the headless horseman and the idea is that um if someone was going to die in a house this character would come along and then they'd be found dead the next day or the next morning or whatever and effectively then would draw out their souls um so that kind of ties in with what's similar to what happened to the knight in the previous one um that's brilliant foreshadowing there isn't it really when you think about it now yeah and i think it's i guess this is similar as well it's kind of like the grim reaper idea um of somebody going around collecting souls yeah um what's strange here is though is that in japanese games and um, mm-hmm. they they don't portray this the original um, of the Irish mythology. Um, so he didn't wear plate armor. He's not a a knight, uh, if you would, or a plated armor knight. This uh, seems to be quite common in in some in in games of Japanese nature. But effectively, uh, in Irish mythology, this this character wouldn't wear plate plate armor because it wouldn't be true of the the time or the period. Looking back a little bit longer as well, this is, seems to be from pagan mythology. Um, in Ireland as well so I was having a look and it's um, chrome dove so chrome means crooked and dove means black so crooked black one or crooked dark one or something like a foreshadowing character effectively and back in pagan times in pre-Christian Ireland before St. Patrick arrived it was the case that he was given human sacrifices so again that's kind of how the mythology and, and everything about being associated with death taking you know souls Um, so this idea so it's it has a very um, long history, as I said, yeah. pagan pagan times. And it's interesting to see this kind of a character show up in a computer game. Obviously, as I say, he looks very different. Or, you know, it's a kind of a Japanese take on on this yeah. character. And as you say, it's it's been depicted previously in film as the Headless Horseman or Sleepy Hollow, for example. 
So it it is quite true to the theme that it doesn't he doesn't have a head, does he? So yeah. it is it is a suit of armor. So to describe it, but some of it's missing, like the chest plates open, and in between what you what you would wear sort of on the, the the trousers of the armor, for the lack of a better term, and the upper chest plate, it's like a leather strap connecting the two, isn't it? I would mm. say, uh, which almost looks a bit like a brown spine, almost. So you get the feeling yeah. just by looking at it that that's its weak point. This boss has 180 hit points, and it's clearly by far the hardest boss up to this point. I tried to use a bow gun on it because a bow gun's piercing and it just did nothing, zero damage. And the fact he's got this large sword, he can match the range of the bow gun. So I tried it once, switched stupidly. I switched to the Fandango, uh, which was the wrong one to use. And I spent three or four minutes trying to kill this boss where with the rapier, I probably would have done it in probably a lot less time. Yeah, I think, as you say, it's it's kind of obvious, but it's not obvious. You can identify where his weak spot is, as you say, the abdomen or the, that middle part. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it was listed as abdomen, yeah. Yeah, um, and that seemed to be, that stood out quite, I don't think I'd seen that on any other enemies up to that point. No, so it was always either. arm or leg or yeah. head or whatnot. So it seemed to be a kind of a, a tip, if you like, that this is maybe the part you want to focus on. And as you say... Yeah, the rapier is what works on this guy. You know, what that bit of lore you told me there actually does change my notes a bit because I've got down, after you beat it, the power it seemed to absorb is released and explodes back out of it and it, it falls to the ground dead and then disappears. But the power it was probably absorbing would be, um, I assume, souls. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. And I, as I said at night in the previous one whose soul came out of him, could have been that it was gone to uh, Dullahan. And it's probably safe to assume that the rest of the undead that we were fighting had their souls taken as well and was also in the Dullahan. Yeah. The other thing as well, as you say, his his hits hurt. I, I, I noted that. Um, and you had to heal because, you know, if he hit you, yeah, it was serious. It's about 75 to 80 hit points, I think. And considering we've only got 250, it's not a lot before you get into a danger zone. And my best healing item, well, I've, I've got something that heals your health completely, but I've only got one of them. So the next best thing is a 100 health healing item, which if you get your timing wrong, I mean, you can use that and then lose three quarters of the, the healing you've just had in yeah. in the matter of seconds. We beat this. Did you write the score down or anything? Yeah, I had 230,960. Right. And I had 230,377. So, so I think you just beat me there. Close enough. Uh, normal rank, and then on normal the wheel rank. I got plus three intelligence. I got plus three health points. Nice. Um, then did you use your elixirs which you were given as a reward? Uh, I think so. So you get two elixirs, yeah. a king and a queen elixir, which yeah. increase your magic points and your hit points. King elixir does your magic points and your queen elixir does your hit points, but it seems to be random between one and four, one and five. Ah, uh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah, so if, so if you take it in the RNG, it doesn't want to be kind, you'll get plus one. Or if it does want to be kind, you'll get plus four, plus five, whatever the maximum is. There was a chest in the corner of the room, which has a brave heart gem and a rusty nail spear. We take them and we move into the next room. This is where we change from the wine cellar to the catacombs. So that's it for this evening. We get to the save point, save our progress, and return to the real world. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. We are on Facebook as Retrospective Replay if you want to join in on the conversation.
You can also email us at retrospectiveplay at gmail.com with any comments, questions, or patch notes. Until next week, good night and Godspeed. Thank you.